Hi, this is Kathleen Mercury with another episode of Games in Schools and Libraries, and I'm super excited today to have on the show John Cassie. John Cassie is an expert on gamification of the classroom, and in fact, his book, Level Up Your Classroom, is for sale right now, so you should go out and buy it. But just to convince you of that, here we go. John, thanks so much for being on the show. Hi, Kathleen. Excellent. So great to be on the show. Thanks. Yeah. You know, it's funny because, like, we've just met tonight, you know, by talking, but we spent a good half an hour before we even start recording about shared interests in terms of, like, what we do. And um, and you were helping me with my RPG design. So I'm really excited because we have, it seems like we've got a lot of really cool things that we can talk about, and I'm just raring to jump on in. So why don't you um, introduce yourself um, as far as what you do, how you do it? Sweet. Uh, Yeah, my name is John Cassie, and I am Director of Curriculum and Innovation at TVT Community Day School. It's an independent school in Orange County, California. As a curriculum director and as an innovation director, I kind of work with teachers, improving their practice, making sure the curriculum makes sense, and trying to find uh, new ways to help teachers reach millennials and the kids that we're working with, because the stuff that worked for earlier generations... In my, in my contention, generally don't work as well. Right. And that if you're going to be an effective teacher for a student, do, do, do follow, follow this logic. Kindergarten. That's the class of 2031. Right. And so what, what, I, what I sometimes will say to parents and my colleagues is, okay, kindergartners, they're in our school right now because my school is TK through 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. They're in school right now. They're going to be in the labor force in the 2090s, you have got to figure out some ways to reach these kids, to get them thinking creatively, flexibly, collaboratively, et cetera, et cetera, right? Well, and I think what's interesting, because we, we've talked about this, you know, um, as far as like looking at technology, and and this, and I say things like this to my students all the time, and they just kind of roll their eyes at me and say, you old dragon, but, you know... I sh- one of the things is, and I show I have a film class, and I show yeah. the movie Rebel Without a Cause, and then after it, I show the movie War Games. And oh yeah, right, right. War games. Oh, tell me how this so is so good. It's so good. But the thing is, is like they don't care as much as I do about seeing the difference in the world in thirty years, because to them, you know. That's so far long ago. That's ancient history, the 1950s, you know, right. where, you know, like the fact that they had the car was like the technology of danger, you know, whereas right. now, you know, because even in war games, it's outdated, but the ideas behind it totally hold up. But even yeah. then, there's some charming aspects like he doesn't have a cell phone. So how can his parents get a hold of him? You know, that sort of thing. But, yeah. you know, I think it brings to like a more important point, though, is, you know, if our kids are connected and they live one way after school and then they come into school and we expect them to disconnect from this world and live differently at school than how they live in their lives. Either we're providing some sort of like safe Harbor maybe for, from that or we are completely disconnected ourselves because we are old and we don't understand it in terms of technology and what they do. And we are, teaching them for the past, not for the future. Right, right. And, you know, my, my, my contention is that game-based learning and gamified instruction, which I think are very different things, which we can, we can talk about on the show, mm-hmm. um, they're, a, they're a tool. And 
where maybe teachers 40 or 50 years ago may have had just one or two arrows in their quiver. Teachers nowadays need dozens and, and ideally as many as you can master. Game-based learning and gamification is one. It's not the only one. There's plenty of things that I do in class that would not really be amenable to being gamified. And there are plenty of games that are really great games that you'd never play out of the box to accomplish a learning objective. But if your learning objectives are clear, there will be games that will help you get there or that will be parallel to what you want to do. And there are plenty of games that, that, uh, that have these really compelling engines. Strip out the game content, leave the engine, and then use the engine to build a learning experience. Dynamite. You, know, you, you can't go wrong, right? Because uh, ultimately, games are motivating because they're, they're fun and they're challenging and they, they reward success within the game. And, uh, you know, they have a kind of, they have the ability to build a sort of social framework and self-sustaining learning, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, so right. let's so let's jump in. So, yeah. um, I mean, obviously, gamification in the classroom is something you know I'm aware of. Um, right. I, and what I find interesting is when people who don't or who don't use it or aren't familiar with it, how they take it. So, I went to a technology conference with mm-hmm. another teacher from my school, and we went to a session on gamification in the classroom. Um, and it was someone presenting what they did in their class and how they did it. And really, what she took away from it was the reward system that if you do this, you get points, and then you can turn those points in to something else. And mm-hmm. I mean, it might be better than nothing, but. Let's talk more in depth. Like, let's go deep. Like, what okay. is gamification? What isn't gamification? What does it look like? Let's let's just start with definitions so we okay. know what we're talking about. Okay, so I define gamification as the application of game systems, game mechanics, game elements in non-game contexts. Okay, depending on the game. That can be that can that can that can look like a lot of different things. All right. If you have, for instance, uh, a lesson where it might be interesting or compelling to have your students adopt a different identity, one of the things that makes a game like, say, World of Warcraft super super popular is that you interact with the game environment by means of an avatar. If you were to create an avatar in your classroom and have your students do learning that is meaningful to you in some way, but they're doing it as though they were this avatar, that can sometimes break down very serious uh, uh, personal hang-ups about different kinds of subjects or different kinds of approaches. I'm not very good at math, but this character is, so that breaks down the potential mental hang-up of being stuck on something. Right. I don't mean this to sound simplistic, but does that really work? I mean, I was somebody who always struggled in math classes because I'm so visual. I didn't know it then. You yeah. know, I, I now understand it now, and I now know how I need to learn um, math from that perspective. Yeah. So, so that's really interesting. It can work, right? Okay. It can. It, it might not, but, you know, just like any other teaching method, right? Right. You know, you've got students who... You think, boy, if I could get them out of their, their – they're kind of bound up in their own sense of, of their own inadequacy, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, give them a different framework in which to work through the same problems, and it could, it could break it open. Mm-hmm. That's the idea at least, right? Huh. Uh, other modes of gamification. Um, 
you are interested in having students think about maybe patterns in history. Well, why don't you take a, a game that is interested in history, like, say, Seven Wonders, strip the content from it and put your own content on top of it. What does it mean? Do it, do it as a modern exercise, okay? What would a wonder be that maybe Americans would build? And how do Americans interact with the world differently than Canadians do? What do American, what are American resources? Uh, our universities, our, uh, uh, our abundant natural resources, okay? Well, how, how does an American interact with the world? Well, one way to do it is to, to think about a game like Seven Wonders. Singapore, unbelievably successful country. It's as big as a postage stamp. Why are they so rich? They don't have any natural resources. Hmm. Think like Singapore in a gamified version of Seven Wonders that connects to your own class. You're doing a class on global studies or something, right? Mm -hmm. Now you've got a way of thinking about the world that's very different, and you're playing essentially a version of Seven Wonders. Huh. That's really interesting. Well, and the other thing, too, because I always think what, you know, like, having, you know, students in the active role in creating that too, I think gives mm-hmm. a whole nother layer to this, especially, you know, if you had the, you know, students who are willing and able, you know, to, to, to you know, play seven wonders, look at the game and then right. figure out how could we not necessarily just replace, but you know, how could we shift this to fit? I think that's really interesting. That in and of itself can lend itself to a lot of really critical questions and answers, for, you know, that could go in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, right. That, that, that's the idea, at least, right? Uh-huh. So when, when I talk about gamification, I'm talking about game elements that you use in ways that really they're not designed. Games are not designed to be learning tools. They're designed to be fun. Mm-hmm. But if you take a game that is fun and you can make it have a learning purpose, now you're doing gamified learning. You, uh, do you know the game Mysterium? Yes, of course. Okay. Dynamite game, right? Sometimes. <laughs> no, my, my uh, co-op games can make me sort of twitchy, yeah, especially right. Um, right. You know when when you've got a quarterback, and so I myself am a bossy, talkative, takeover kind of person. So in those uh-huh. games, especially, I tend to scale back a little bit, and yeah. um, you know, you so, should be the ghost. Yeah, I probably should. Yeah. I probably you're not should. allowed to talk. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh no i just remember well, there was one game where i got my three things round one round two round three and then i had to sit there and you know wait 45 minutes an hour until ever till the end and all yeah. the other stuff so yeah anyway but yes but but mysterium beyond my own little ridiculousness here is a game that has a very simple rule set and I could see if you're talking about using so for people who don't know, Mysterium is kind of like Clue, sort of, and that you know you're giving out clues towards. Uh, well, would you compare it to Clue? What would you compare it to? When I t- when, when I try to describe it to folks who don't know it, I say it's a cross between Clue and Dixit. Ah, yes. Okay. Yes. So your you, uh, uh, the players are psychic investigators, and they are being given clues by a character who's called the ghost, who's mm-hmm. not allowed to speak. And the, the psychic investigators are trying to determine a combination of who, where, and with what 
the ghost was done in in a you know in a previous year kind of thing, right? Each player has his or her own pattern. You've got lady knitting needles. We always give them these kind of names because the cards for each person place and you know kind of object will sometimes have different design elements on them right mm-hmm. you got the lady with the knitting needles and she's in the she's in the room with the fountain and she did it with the typewriter okay the ghost wants each player to correctly guess the the three that belong to each player okay the ghost however is only allowed to communicate with the players by means of beautiful cards that represent uh, kind of abstract art and the game is really about indirect communication. How effectively can I suss out the way you think about the world and give you cards that will resonate with your ways of seeing, your ways of being and doing, right? So that you'll recognize a pattern correctly. If I, if I can't vibe with you, then it's going to take us longer to establish effective communication. So I've, I've often said to, to, to folks, think about notions in your discipline that you want to explain, but that sometimes are hard to explain. How might you represent them as though they were Mysterium cards? Okay. Have your students make Mysterium cards that represent scientific principles or notions in history or ways of understanding character in a particular novel, right? That's gamification because you're taking game elements and you're applying them for a kind of a learning purpose for which the game was not designed. Yeah. Well, and one thing that's making me think about that is I remember now when Mysteri- when Codenames came out. I said, oh, my this God, is kind yes. Of like, yeah, and Codenames is fantastic. If you've not seen that one, and there's uh, picture versions as well as board versions. And I said back then, sort of controversially amongst my gamer set, was that I thought that Codenames was sort of Mysterium Express because there are some similar kind of ideas in nice. terms of like, you know, you've got people who are like trying to transmit very limited information to get the uh, people on their team to guess it correctly. Right. Um, and so if, if Mysterium is one that might be too much in terms of like time or gameplay, code names right. might be a really good way where you can put a lot of different concepts out mm-hmm. that you could then, or even like for pictures and then still play that with students um, and have a that that might work as well in, in a, as an alternative as well. Yeah. What's so great about code names is that it's about taking words that are in this sort of grid, some of which connect to each other and some of which don't uh, for you. Mm-hmm. And if you put into it words that are unique to your discipline or words that matter to the learning objective you're trying to accomplish, if students can establish relationships between concepts, they're going to understand those concepts way better than if they just drill and killed, mm-hmm. right? So uh, if, if you understand that there are different kinds of bonds that are made chemically, or if you understand that there are relationships between organs and organelles between different kinds of species, and you can put the words in sort of a codename frame and get students to, to make connections... That's a very powerful example to me mm-hmm. of of gamified instruction, right? Yeah. Now, now I'm I'm talking at a pretty high at a pretty high level of work here, right? Mostly, particularly when you go to technology conferences, gamification is uh, leaderboards, reward systems, yes. punishment systems, yes. loot. That's all it is. 
So backing up to something we, you know, we talked about, you know, 12 minutes ago, gamification is not about technology. Game-based learning is not about technology. It could have a technological component, but it's not about it. Mm -hmm. And you can do profoundly powerful game-based learning around the tabletop, profoundly powerful game-based learning using game engines that are, uh, that are, that are in boxes. So what do you think that I don't, because I agree with you, because that's one thing, but I think, you know, like Classcraft, um, sure. and there might be other systems out there, too, where, you know, you can Classroom take... Classroom Dojo. Yeah, Classroom. Yeah, well, th- those kind of things, right? Right, right, right. I mean, I guess if they have some sort of benefit that kids respond to, it's familiar. So basically what it is is, you know, every kid has more or less, you know, like an avatar, like you said, but more or right. less it's about unlocking achievements, you know, earning badges, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. moving up, that sort of thing. But it tends to be something that happens on the board. It's not what's happening right there in the table in front of them unless they choose to do like there's like a bonus project that gets them additional XP. Well, they might right. do that. But generally speaking, it seems more almost like a classroom management system Correct. than gamification of what you're actually doing. I don't think there's things wrong with it because I think if everyone's having – like if it's working as far as classroom management, which means kids are you know learning, then hey, you know more power to you. I'm not saying it's Correct. bad. But I think when it, yeah. but to me it just seems like more of a reward than just you know actual true gamification. And if you work for Classcraft and you're screaming at, you, at this, please contact <sighs> Contact me and let's talk about it more in depth because I don't know. Yeah, well, I I, th- I think I think you're right, right? That those kinds of systems are great as classroom management tools. Where where I land on the question of gamification and game based learning is: Do you have a clear learning objective? Where do you want your students to end up? And those systems don't really care about that, mm-hmm. right? They care about the experience in the moment, right? And I think they're gamifying in some respects the wrong things. Like what? I'm not well. It, it, to your point about it being about classroom behavior, I don't. I don't want it to be so extrinsic, so sort of obvious. You know, mm-hmm. if that if that moves you, if that helps you in your own classroom practice, rock on. Right. It's it becomes a problem when when that becomes seen as what gamification is, as though it is only that. Right. Does that make? Yeah. Does no, that sort of make make you know? Does that sort of resonate? Yeah. No, that does. Um, because I think. You know, those systems, because they're more obvious and extrinsic as far as students go, they're probably easier to consider in terms of implementation into your classroom. And again, I don't have a problem with them. I mean, if it makes it more fun for you and the kids are having fun with it and they're unlocking XP and they're taking on additional challenges so that they can learn more, I mean, there is not a problem in the world wrong with that in any, you know, in any aspect for me. Um, But especially, I think the challenges, you know, especially when it comes to, you know, being a teacher and doing this is when it comes to gamification, like, how do you do it? You know, how does, like, you know, so for example, taking a game like Mysterium and layering your own content on there, you know, that could be really time consuming and the clock is every teacher's worst enemy. Right. Yeah. There's there's almost no answer to that question (laughs) that isn't. You have to put in the time, mm-hmm. right? You know, as I, as I, you know, when I, when I present on this different parts, of, you know, around the, around the country, um, and, you know, I, I hit this very hard in the book, um, the preparation required to do gamified instruction is, is, is extensive, mm-hmm. even if you're only doing it for a single class or if you're doing it for a unit. The challenge with teaching in a gamified way is that 
the game itself becomes the kind of framework or engine by which all of the learning takes place. It has to all be developed before it ever interacts with the student for the first time. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, what, what, is, what is teaching? You can divide it into three basic kind of acts or disciplines. There's the planning act, the instructional act, and the assessment act. You have to plan instruction, deliver instruction, and assess. And these things can sort of flex. Sometimes you have to plan more, you plan less. With gamified instruction, everything has to be planned before you do anything because you are going to only facilitate in the class. You're not going to be doing direct instruction. You're going to be facilitating learning as students move through whatever the game is. The challenge, of course, is that means that planning takes... You have to do all the planning before anything happens. And inevitably, there'll be things that you planned in that don't work. And you'll have to nerf them you know, in, in the moment. You'll have to fix them as the game is ongoing. Your, your job, your responsibility as an instructor becomes to be walking around the room seeing how students are experiencing the gamified the gamified experience and it's a very it it's very it's very different experience right for the teacher and and i think that for gamers who are teachers or teachers mm-hmm. who are gamers this is something that they're probably more comfortable with because we're used to sort of putting ourselves in these you know abstract models, playing right. around with things, experimenting, poking, trying different strategies, seeing what would happen. And we're familiar enough with games where even if, if we create a lesson, we have the ability as gamers to think it through multiple steps. Mm-hmm. What will happen? What will be the impact of this de- decision if I do this? I mm-hmm. think for, for non-gamer teachers, this is almost like is it is it as difficult as sending them into a foreign country not knowing the language? I mean, that might be a bad metaphor. And I'm not saying it can't be done because, you know, a lot of times people coming from outside perspectives bring like a whole new one that's so needed and valued. But I just think, right. how do you work with teachers who aren't gamers, who aren't familiar with gaming to broach this? Yeah, it's 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 challenging for, for teachers who don't have any real experience with games other than, you know, things like Monopoly and Sorry, right? Because they have a very they have a very narrow kind of perspective on what games are. Mm-hmm. So what I try to do is to try to understand what they're, you know, what they're what do they want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you want to do you want to give students an opportunity to test their skills against someone else who has skill? Okay. Well, okay, you can design games where your stu- you could design a, a gamified lesson where your students are in some way competing against you as the teacher. Mm-hmm. Do you want to inject a little bit of playful luck into what you're doing? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, there's all sorts of ways to game, to sort of playfully game a, a, a little bit of something, right? Uh, the first five students to complete the quiz get an opportunity to to spin the wheel of fortune that I have in my classroom mm-hmm. right or you know you're gonna roll a, 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 a d20 before you start this quiz and if you get a critical hit you get something that no one else gets I've done something similar with my students but as a joke I'll roll yeah. a d10 and then a percentile d10 and so it just 
a ten-sided die that has all the numbers and tens. And I'll say, do you want me to grade your project? Or you just want me to roll for it? And they're like, roll for it. I'm like, okay, cool, thirty-seven percent. Good luck next time, you know. Yeah, right. And, and it was well it, done. Yeah, I mean, it's just a joke because the kids are like, roll for me, roll for me, see what I get. Um, yeah. But one time I had a kid. This happened last week. Is I rolled a ninety-six. He's like, done. Yeah. All right, I'll take it. I was like, oh, no. (laughs) Hoisted on my own petard, right? Right. Um, But, you know, look, I think think the challenge is if you're going to do – if you are a teacher who wants to do this and you don't have game experience, you have to do what what my co-host Tracy Wozenegger and I say all the time on our podcast, Game Level Learn, play all the games. You got to play. I can remember I presented on – using the techniques and strategies that make massively multiplayer online role-playing games really engaging to players. Talked extensively about the way you design uh, kind of questing trees Mm -hmm. and the way that you create leveling experiences and the way that you generate ever more increasingly difficult challenges to students. And I got asked a question by someone in a session on massively multiplayer online role playing gamification, mm-hmm. I you know I I, I do this at, you know and my my students say that they they hate it, okay, and I'm like okay well talk to me about your quest design and you know he's sort of talking and I'm like okay so what are you modeling this on are, are, do you play Elder Scrolls do you play WoW do you play DDO Dungeons Dragons on what do you play and he said I don't play any of those games play the game right. Right. The problem is that you're designing in a construct you don't know anything about. Right. Well, and I run into that with my students as far as um, designing games because, you know, teachers love to assign, you know, a board game as a a project idea. You know, if they're giving kids a list of options. And one thing that I show when I I present about, you know, teaching game design is if uh, like one time and it might be the same, might be different now, but I Googled uh, make a board game. And out of right. all the things listed, all the, uh, the image searches, out of the top 12 images, only one didn't look like Candyland in terms of a track. You know, one was right. c- kind of circle, a little bit like um, Trivial Pursuit. But generally speaking, they were all track games, start here and there, except for one. And I think that's yeah. about right in terms of like, you know, the percentage of the country who plays games versus who doesn't. And even then, one out of 12 might be a little bit luxurious. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so that that that's a challenge, right? Yeah, gaming literacy. You know, it's like if you right. want to write a book, you have to read a lot of books. If you want to be an Indeed. artist, you have to study art, and you have to try a whole bunch of different types of styles of art. And it's the same thing too with games. Is if you want to do anything with games, because otherwise you do what you know, and that's why people have can you know Candyland and Monopoly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all those sorts of games that kind of fall back. I want to throw a couple um, of game ideas out there now that I'm thinking oh. about it. Um, we already yeah. talked about um, using code names as some way to help kids to use concepts and have kids come up with ways to very clearly define what something could be and couldn't be. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing is uh, can't stop. Um, if you've yeah. ever can't stop is a great, you know, it's like perfect press your luck kind of game. Super frustrating if the rolls don't go your way. Yep. But the thing with can't stop is. There's this urge to press on, you know, and so and it's a game where you could actually win on your first turn. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to basically capture three columns in this number chart. You know, it's kind of a little hard to describe if you're not familiar with it, but it's got this press your luck aspect to it where when you're rolling, 
you can keep rolling on your turn as much as you want to try to advance um, down this track to where you capture a column of numbers. But if you go bust, you lose all that progress. But if you right. stop yourself, you can put temporary placeholders in there to make it easier for you on future turns. So there's that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But you also don't want to stop too early because it might open the door to other people blazing past you, capturing the column. You've lost all that effort and you're, you're at a detriment in the game. And so I was thinking about even can't stop might be something kind of fun where if you wanted to have like, you know, some sort of like quiz, like, you know, that you're throwing out questions to kids. Um you could have them like they could, you know, keep answering questions. And when mm -hmm. they do that, they can advance. But then if, you know, they don't stop, then they could lose all their progress. I mean, that's a structure where, you know, it's encouraging right. kids to keep going. Um, and, and honestly, by having them stop would just give other kids a turn. So that's kind of okay, I think. Yeah. I, I, imagine that kind of a game in a language class mm -hmm. where the early columns are asking students to demonstrate mastery of sort of word level concerns. You know, do you can, can you understand what this word means? Do you understand what that ending means? Or it's say you're doing say Chinese, do you understand what that word in the third position in a sentence means? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the next level might be sentence level concerns. Tell me about the relationship between these two words. And then the the third level is well, now here's a Here's a sentence in English. Put it into the target language. You have 30 seconds. You know, where the difficulty ramps up and you can, as long as, if you stop, then you're in the sort of, you're still in word concern or you're still in sentence concern, you know, but you could conceivably demonstrate a real level of mastery by going all the way into the most difficult questions right on the first turn. Yeah, I've got another idea. Um, no. And actually, this is not one I've come up with, and this is one where um, I saw in practice, but the old yeah. game, Go to the Head of the Class. Um, do you Classic. Do you remember that one? Sure. Yeah. Sure. And so it was a trivia game, and what happened yep. was is if you got the answer right, you there's a pattern, like all the desks are set up in a grid. Um, but if you got the question right, you would move up. And if you got a question wrong, you would move back. And so at uh, a high school that I, I, when I started teaching, it was high school history. And so one of the high school classes, they used this as their, like how they would um, do quizzes because the kids would always be paired up with somebody. They would mm -hmm. write their answer on their paper. And then whoever was the first to hold their pencil up um, was the one who would then, you know, if they were correct, they would get to advance. And there's some other rules for it too, but it was really well done. Um, I would say the downsides to that one were that um, kids who were at the bottom got kind of stuck at the bottom and then yeah. it was very easy to check out. Um, yep. you know, sort of disconnect from the game itself. And plus too, like if you were down at the bottom, it's pretty apparent to other kids. Um, so yeah. that's something that I think would be, uh, worth looking at. But the nice thing about the game though, is for like a review as it was used, um, that every kid was answering every question, you know, so it could also yeah. be something where, you know, depending on like how it's being used, you know, with some modifications, um, I think it could be really, really cool as far as that happens. And I think that's where like a lot of success of games like Kahoot um, right. systems that come in, you know, where you've got, I mean, again, that's still like knowledge base. It's still trivia. It tends to be like, you know, relatively, you know, small concepts as opposed to more complex questions. But, right. but kids love it. They absolutely love it. Totally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It has value. Right. And for a teacher who's, who's trying to, explore whether this is a technique that he or she might be interested in, 
Mm-hmm. You can start with stuff that's at that level, right? You can start with a game like Codenames and do really meaningful work with it. Yeah. Super easy to learn. Yes. Yeah, and that's, I you guess, could the thing start- that I'm thinking about. Like, if you were, because especially there's probably, for a lot of the listeners that, you know, for the podcast are, you know, educators. Um, right. And who are probably more co- more used to working with games. But I think if you have the ability to teach games, you know, whether you're at lunch with a colleague or, you know, some other time, teach some of these basic games that you think mm-hmm. other teachers could use in their classrooms. And then do it kind of stealth even, you know, exactly. as yeah, far as yeah. that goes, you know, so again, because without gaming literacy in terms of knowing what's possible, like, how would you know? How would That's you know right. what you could do, you know? But if you yeah. give people this tool, you know, and they're excited and they're empowered and it comes up with new things. I mean, and I've said this a million times, kids will play a bad game if it means they're still playing a game. That's right. You know? That's so right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, yeah. they'll, that's why there are a lot of educational games out there that still sell, even with, you know, the, in like various right. like educational catalogs, even if they're not super great. Because the kids are like, at least we're doing something, you know. I want to yeah. do something instead of just like listen and write things down and we do something different, you know. So Right, right. Huh. Um, you know, it, uh, when, when I think about, you know, kind of what are some great gateway games, if you will. I think about games like Machi Koro, mm-hmm. which is about building community. Right. You can play that with a second grader. Yeah. And they'll really get it. Why is Machikoro great? Because it, it takes three minutes to learn. Easy to play, fun. There are strategy components and there are luck components. I talk a lot in the book about you want to balance challenge, strategy versus luck. You don't want to have too much luck and you don't want to assess based too much on luck because students will find that very unfair. Mm-hmm. But if you add luck correctly, then it will be really fun. Uh, I think about um, I think about a game like Zendo, mm-hmm. okay, where it's really about the scientific method. Okay, you want students to understand how to think scientifically. Just pull Zendo down, play it right out of the box, and it's a it's super easy to learn how to play. It takes twenty seconds to explain the rules. Mm-hmm. It's super hard. Yeah, right. But it's not it it's not it's not hard to learn. That's right? a, that's a really good suggestion for that one too because. I'm just thinking about, I teach gifted kids, and at our yep. middle school, um, our science classes are heterogeneous. We don't do um, honors or anything like that, and there's no, yep. you know, in science classes. I know sometimes when my students are struggling, that would be, um, they, you know, I, I can come up with different ideas, but I love that idea of having them, if, when other kids are learning scientific methods, the steps and the process to have kids play Zendo and, you know, be able to discuss, like, how Zendo and... Uh, um, and the scientific method are in common. And honestly, you can do that with a lot of games too, you know. Sure. Because especially if kids are really creative in their thinking, you just, you know, pick a game off the shelf and tell me how this relates to this. And mm-hmm. maybe it's a terrible idea. <laughs> but yeah. I always like bad ideas. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I live. Yeah. I mean, I think about like Alchemists, mm-hmm. you know, which is sort of like a more complicated Zendo. Mm-hmm. You know, what's great about Zendo is it's pure. Yes. Right. I think about games like set with younger students, mm-hmm. right, to understand patterns. I think about games like Anomia, which are also about making connections that are great, great out of the box, and that can be, you, you can mod them easily, mm-hmm. 
right? If you're thinking about, you know, what what are some games that a teacher who is interested in this should really play to get to get a handle on what modern gaming is like? Well, all those are good examples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it seems to me. Well, and I think too, you yeah. know, especially, you know, it's hard when things don't work out well in the classroom. Teaching is so personal that right. if you're successful, you know. You, you get that, you earn that, you own that. And if you right. aren't successful, then you earn that and you get that and you own that. And I think sometimes, <laughs> with, true. you know, and so I think sometimes with games, um, there's always that fear of that it not working out. And I think I just would want to reiterate again, you know, students will play a bad game as long as it means that they're playing a game and we shouldn't totally be afraid to at least try because, we're getting them to, we're solving a complex problem. We're modeling, you know, I'm trying to figure out a much more interesting, engaging way to do this. And yep. I mean, my students are so willing to like give feedback and suggestions. Well, oh, yeah. you know, it would be good. And like some of my best changes for my classrooms come from them. So I would just say, yep. you know, for other teachers out there, you know, who are wanting to do this, especially if you're wanting to help non-gamer teachers do this. I think that's a really important lesson. Yeah. Take take the top two or three games that you love and that you think are accessible and play them at lunch, mm-hmm. right? Host host a game night for faculty, right? You may only get three or four people, but, you know, like, you know, like we were talking in our sort of pre-show, we're still in a, in a period of sort of trying to evangelize for this. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's millions of people doing this all over the country. Right. You know, when, when, when people will write to me and say, well, I've read your book. What should I read next? I'm like, pick anything in the bibliography. Because since then, there have been maybe 12 things published, mm-hmm. right? The entire literature on game-based learning and gamification doesn't need a full bookcase. Right. Right? Yeah. We're, at, we're in early days. Yeah. Right? So we're trying things and, and liking them, and we're trying things and not liking them. Right. Right? But it's your point. I've never put it the way that you put it. Game, gaming literacy. Mm-hmm. Right, you wouldn't presume to teach about Greek classics without having read a Greek classic right. before you, your kids start off on it, and you wouldn't presume to teach writing without ever having written anything. Mm-hmm. So, on some level, if this is your jam, or it might be, and you haven't done gaming, you have to do some gaming. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't think there's any way around it. Yeah. Well, and I like the idea too. Like, it's it's interesting too. Like trends in gaming right now that I'm just sitting here thinking about. You know, like different types, like roll and rights right now, are really really popular. And there's all kinds of cool ones coming out. You know, mm-hmm. and just trying to think of like because one um, Welcome to um, from Deepwater Games. Um, for that one, the thing that I love so much about that game is everybody can play at the same time. And that's yes. so important when it comes for schools right. and everything. You know, you can buy one copy of a game. You don't have to have six different copies, four different copies of a right. game. And just that in and of itself makes it so accessible. You know, so how could you take a game like Welcome To and turn it in for to something for your students to do? And they're all like have the same information, but they all, right. excuse me, they all can make different choices as far as how they incorporate that. I think that's so interesting. Yeah. Uh, I, I think about, you know, co- cooperative games where the students are contending with the game engine. And they're not contending with each other. Mm-hmm. 
build camaraderie. They build sociality. They build community. They're super valuable in and of themselves. And some of these games are not, they're not very long. I mean, how long does it take to play Forbidden Island? Oh gosh, you can do it a class period. Right? Forbidden Desert's harder. So if your kids are more strategic, play that. Yeah. A colleague of mine told me that uh, Matt Leacock has just put out Forbidden Sky. Mm -hmm. Right, which I haven't played yet, but she said, oh my God, it's so hard. Oh, it is so hard. Yeah, you played it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I have not played it yet. I've lost, I should say. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, that's, but yeah, my, my friend is like, hmm, played it six times, one at once, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and the nice thing, too, about co-op games is they take a lot of pressure off individual students' performance because correct. they're all working together to beat the board. They either all win or they all lose. And for my students, right. um, where, you know, their pride can be, well, any student really, who's, you know, pride and self-worth <coughs> whose pride and self-worth can be very fragile at their age to have that kind of, you know, social cushion is incredibly important for them. And I'm always happy to, you know, have them do it. I don't have my students design co-op games because the board has to work as a viable fifth player that beats you 50, Mm -hmm. 60, 70% of the time. So, but they love co-op games. And once I, and and then when I say no co-op games, they're like, oh, we're not. And then I explain that and they're like, oh yeah, that actually does make sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're a little bit too hard to design for a, for a, for sort of an, an emerging learner. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to have a level of mastery of the different, different kinds of gaming modes to get there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I often encourage teachers to to give different kinds of video games a try. You know, I said earlier it's not about it's not about technology, and I firmly believe that. But there's great video games that can create all kinds of of connections in your you know in your mind mm-hmm. about different kinds of challenges or different approaches to overcoming difficulties. Mm-hmm. Right? We want to the degree possible to build more resilience in kids than our society is building in them. No, well, I was just going to agree with you completely because, you know, it's funny because everyone can talk about the importance of having kids fail, mm-hmm. except when the report cards come out and then they're suddenly very much not okay with their kids failing, you know? Um, right. I mean, I personally try to use the term setback as opposed to failure. Um, yep. You know, learning, but I think that's one nice thing about games too is, if the game is the the instructional tool, the, you, you can learn as much from failure as you can from success. And I think right. framed in that perspective, it's kind of best of both worlds. They learn how to deal with the disappointment, the frustration, the embarrassment, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. you know anger, whatever it is that they're feeling about that. But because it doesn't, they're they don't get graded, they don't get points based on if they won the game or not, and they can That's use right. it to talk about that, then you've got best of both worlds right there. Exactly. And, yeah, I'm only speaking from my own experience of losing games. Very frequently, the act of losing mm-hmm. lets me think through a series of questions about the way I was thinking that winning, why would I, there's nothing to think about. You know, I, I've got it. Except maybe I didn't, right? So the act of the act of not succeeding is actually a success. Yeah. Well, this is I mean, this is so interesting, you know, because I mean, especially for me who I deal 
so concretely with games that in a lot of mm-hmm. ways I want to do more to help my fellow teachers. Maybe that's why I'm talking so much about different ways you can help other teachers in your own schools is because that's what I keep I, thinking about. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, because I teach game design, but wanting to help teachers use better games, develop better games in the classroom has been a big thing in my mind in a way that I definitely want to help more, you know, in my school and everything. Um, you wrote a book on this. Um, yes. Are there any other kind of last final thoughts as far as what you learned? Because just looking through, I didn't have a, t- I didn't have a chance to read it before we interviewed, but it's definitely yep. going on the list now, which is good yep. um, as far as this goes. But are th- what are your last kind of like final like pushes as far as like thoughts for people as they want to try to embrace some gamification mindset for their classroom? One of the things we want our students to get more comfortable with and more excited about is taking risks. If you read the book, if you play some games, if you email me, if you reach out to me on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera, and you say, I think I want to accomplish this with my students and I want to do it in 30 minutes, I will inevitably be able to point you to a game model you can use to get you there. Yeah, You're going to have to get yourself there. But, I, but I, I, I can help you get part of the way. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to take a risk yeah. and give something a try. I think that's great. And, and I, don't, I don't know what more to, to, to say or suggest, you know? Right. Yeah, because everything is so different. And if, like, if I had a magic wand, there'd be a massive database where teachers could plug in, you know, something that they wanted to teach. And I've talked with somebody about, you know, developing this. But it's yeah. just so massive, you know, like if you want to teach, you know, like X, Y, Z topic, you know, the French Revolution, what would be a way to do that, that sort of thing. But I think, right. you know, you could always try to find various games for different things. And that's one thing. And that's a good answer. But I think especially if we can take the games themselves and learn how better ways that we can adapt them to our classrooms more easily so we feel more mm-hmm. comfortable doing this, we're more effective at doing this, then mm-hmm. more and more gamification will seep into what we're doing and we'll have higher levels of student engagement and learning. And that's the hokey pokey. Right. That's what it's all about. Right. We want to build up resilience. We want to build up tolerance for risk-taking. We want to build up capacity for self-direction. Because in a game, right, there's a million ways to win. There's 10 million ways to lose. Right. right? You You picked your pathway... Talk to me about the, the, the decision you made that caused you to lose that game. And I think the last, my last final thought on this is what we're wanting from our students for everything you just said, develop resilience and learn how to work right. through struggles, is what we have to do in order to do this. Correct. And I think Correct. this is the, <laughs> the realist of the realies, <laughs> hokey pokey, what it's all yeah, about. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, uh, I, I shared this planning document for my our cosplay unit that's upcoming with my right. students. They started working on it, and then I was looking at it, and I realized there are all these changes I'd wanted to make. So I went through, I made all these changes, I sent my students the link, and I said, I'm really sorry. I know you already started, but I improved it, and I'm always trying to improve things and make things better. So I apologize after right. the fact for giving you this, but Hey, this is better. So we should just do this to move forward. And it's, you know, and mm-hmm. I think especially when we show that, you know, authentic, I'm learning to kind of things, mm-hmm. students are like, Hey man, I gotcha. I gotcha. You That's know? Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna forgive a thoughtful and well attempted effort 
Because mercy, it's certainly better than listening to you yammer on for 65 minutes. Right. Right? Yes. Or to watch a movie, which at the end of the day, kids don't actually want to do. Right. Right? Because it's super boring. Right. They want to be engaged. Mm-hmm. And they want, they want to be challenged. And if they see you making a go and you've established any kind of relationship with these kids, mm-hmm. they're going to be like, oh, Ms. Mercury, Dr. Cassie, really? Mm-hmm. Here's eight things that you should have done differently. Right. Right? And I'll be you like, know, you, I, you are correct. That's awesome. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I gamified uh, an entire course a number of years ago, okay, to function basically like, um, uh, like a massively multiplayer online role-playing game, like WoW, mm-hmm. okay? And... Within two days, it was clear that there were all kinds of systems that I had thoughtfully designed that weren't going to work. And I knew it because students were like, I don't, I don't think we know as much as you think we know. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I've made an assumption that has driven my entire design philosophy that you're coming to the study of contemporary American history with a certain knowledge base that's this big. But it's this big. Mm-hmm. All right, so I have to make a number of, of amendments and changes, right? And, of course, you put in systems that you hope students will resonate with, and some of them they do, and some of them they don't. And you cut them, and you edit, and you add, right? The thing that students loved most in this class that I did was achievements, mm-hmm. right? Be the first person to interview another teacher about something, be the first person to publish on a social media platform. Be the first, you know, because it's a history class, so I want them, what do historians do? Give them achievements for doing things that historians do. Historians read tweets, but they also read books and they read articles. What else do they do? Sometimes they talk about politics from the perspective of what musicians say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they talk about music from the perspective of what politicians say. This kind of thing, yeah. right? So you, you create a bunch of achievements that, that reflect what the people in the discipline do, and that encourages them to want to live and learn like the person who does this professionally. What does the professional game designer do with their life? Be the, you know, be the first person to, uh, to integrate a card-based randomizing system. Be the first player to create a, an avatar-based character scheme. Integrate story elements. Mm-hmm. Integrate a, a, a kind of a roll-and-move element. Whatever, right? right? Think about what, what game designers do, and 20 achievements should come straight away to mind. I think this is something that you and I personally could talk endlessly on indeed forever right? i know it's so interesting you know because it's such it's a mind shift in addition to games themselves so you've got so many different pieces going on you've got the you know instructional objective piece you've got the game themselves piece you've got like the right. personal piece of developing this and how you do this there's all these different things that are right. why it's so challenging to do well um, right. And so on that note, how can people get a hold of you when they're wanting your help with this? Cassie at gmail.com. I answer email. J-O-N-C-A-S-S-I-E. See, for people who thought there was okay. an H in there, there was no H. Yeah, no H, right? <laughs> um, my, my partner is also named John, but he, he has an H. Oh. Huh. Yeah, so we have, to, we have to sort that out sometimes. That's funny. Um, 
Uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, Jonathan Cassie, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-C-A-S-S-I-E. Mm-hmm. Or look for uh, the Game Level Learn Facebook group, which is uh, you know a group about gaming and learning and teaching and gamification. That's so cool. Which has more than like it's got like fifteen hundred members, nice. right? So lots of lots of potential people to talk with. That's right? awesome. That's so cool. Go to go to uh, Apple iTunes, download the Game Level Learn podcast, mm-hmm. where my my co host and I talk about well the very topics that you know that we've been talking about for this hour, mm-hmm. right? Season two was about different different uh, board games that you could play one. Two, that you could gamify oh. from. And three, that you could play out of the box as game-based learning. Right? So we, we talk about eight model games, basically. That's really great. And say, all right, well, if you play Small World, a great area control game, what, what, are, what, do, you, what do you get from it as, a, as gamification? Okay, well, imagine instead of it being a fantasy world... It's a 19th century manor house like like uh, Gosford Park or Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be in charge of a faction that controls the nobility and the the scullery, right? How would you design a game to represent the social dynamics of a high school or of a manor house, right? Because a high school is just a place where area control is continuously renegotiated. By different groups of students, mm-hmm. yeah, right, right. So, uh, season three, we're we're in right now. We're talking about role playing games. That's so cool. Thank you so much for being on the show. Absolutely. I hope that you come back again um, when you've got you know if there's anything else in the future because I feel like we could just go on and on about this forever. So thank you so incredibly much. Absolutely. Well, this has been Kathleen Mercury with Games and Schools and Libraries. If you'd like to get in contact with me, you can find me through my website, www.kathleenmercury.com, where I put all of my game design teaching resources online for free. And yes, as I'm working on my RPG unit with my students, I'm working it with an eye on making sure all of that's posted online as well. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Mercury with seven M's. And I love working and helping teachers all over the world who want to teach game design in their class rooms um please use my resources download them make copies of them do them better than me tell me how you did it and say hi to me at convention so thank you so much john and this has been another episode of games and schools and libraries thank you Thank you for listening to Games in Schools and Libraries. You can find out more about Inverse Genius and the people who create the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast by visiting us at inversegenius.com, where we have other great shows such as On Board Games, On RPGs, On Minis Games, and The Room Escape Divas. If you would like to be on the show or have questions, comments, or ideas for episodes, please contact us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com and let us know. We do have our episodes booked out for several weeks in advance, so if you have something time-sensitive, you will want to contact us as early as possible. 